You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. You're listening to The Sports Fix. All right, we're back after a day off. I'm here. Aaron's here. Tommy is in studio as well. Um, We've got some Redskins stuff to talk about. We've got some Nat stuff to talk about. We also have an announcement from your apartment building that just came through on your telephone. Yes. Why don't you read it to everybody? It just came across my email uh, to residents of of my particular building in, in the complex. It has been reported to this office that there has been marijuana smoke coming from this building. Due to the nature of apartment living, it is difficult to determine which apartment this is coming from. Please keep in mind that our community does abide by federal law, which considers the possession and use of marijuana to be illegal. Is that your apartment? Well, I can tell you that that's not our apartment. It's not? No. It might be cigar smoke mistaken for marijuana, even though I don't smoke my cigar in the apartment. Yeah, I I wouldn't. I smoke it out on the patio. You smoke it on the patio. Do you have a deck? No, I have a patio. We're first floor. Oh, first floor. Well, do you think that bothers the people above you? I don't particularly care. (laughs) You don't? (laughs) Well, are you bothered by the smell of marijuana? No, I'm not. Me neither. No, 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 I'm not. But uh, this this is interesting. I've lived in apartments... You know, we sold our house probably about seven years ago yeah. and lived in apartments ever since. I've never gotten a notice like like this before. But it brings back some fond memories of of days when this would have this would have pertained to to me. Yeah, it could have been you. Yes. The, how long ago could it have been you? When's the last time you oh, got I remember, when's the last time you got baked? I remember vividly. It was in my Mazda uh, out on the street in Stroudsburg, outside Flood's Tavern, uh-huh. in 1982, with a girl named Valerie. <laughs> Valerie? Yes. Really? Yes. That was the last time I uh, I partook, uh, and and and, and how did things go with it. you and Valerie that? Oh night? no, it, it was just simply it was just simply sharing that particular moment. There was nothing else going on. We went back into Flood's. After that, and and continue to drink, yeah, which we had been doing in the first place. Uh, so uh, that's the last time that uh, I've done it. And you know, I've been in Washington State where it's legal a number of times, and I've never felt the urge to g- give it a try. But this is kind of this this notice has kind of rekindled my interest now. Yeah, I mean, it would be great if it, it would be a great story if it had been you. Um, it's it's but the Valerie story is pretty good. What, was well, what Valerie, about you? What was Valerie's last name? <laughs> what about you? What was Valerie's last When's name? When's the last time you you you? We you can't s- mention Valerie's last name. When's the last time you had some of the weed? Well, let me just uh, some of the weed. Where did that come from? The, I used you, it in that, the show. That was you. That was you. Yeah, I used it in the yeah. show. Tommy, and it became a soundbite. Yeah, Tommy, many years he ago. He likes the weed. During the sports fix, somehow we got into, it was probably Michael Vick. No, I think it was Fred Davis. Or Fred Davis. Yeah. And Tommy goes. Ben Pelt was on at the time. I was producing at the time. Oh, you were? And yeah. Tommy Tommy referred to it as the, the weed. weed. The <laughs> weed. It's been a long time. Well, at least th- I didn't call it Mary Jane. It's It's been a long time. Um, A, a long time. Now, I, I will tell you, I've been thinking about it recently. Much more so recently because, A, it's legal. I, I like getting you know an actual medical prescription for it. I've been thinking about doing that because 
my brother-in-law, who lives in Seattle, right. by the way, um, he has told me, you know, he was having some issues sleeping, and it's a big, big help to helping him sleep. Well, I know it used and, to help me pass out. Yeah, back in the I know. Day. So. You know, uh, I've got a friend of mine who lives down in Florida selling CBD. He he absolutely is convinced that if I would just do some CBD lotions and different things, that I would sleep much better and, you know, without the effects of the uh, the other part of it. What is it? The THC? Right. Is that what it is? Um, and um, But, you know, if I'm going to do that, I might as well actually smoke weed. Like if I'm gonna if I'm gonna just do CBD, I might as well have the benefit of getting <laughs> baked at the same time. It's been a while. I I told you this story once before, probably. Um, it's been more recently than this. Don't get me wrong, but the last time I remember being truly out of you know just out of my mind high was the night of the Tyson Buster Douglas fight. Which is 1990. 1990. Now I've smoked weed between 1990 and now, but this was, but not a lot. A very, very few times, once or twice maybe in the last 25 years. Um, and by the way, not with me going out and buying it. I, it would, it would have just been around friends, right? And somebody had a joint and said whatever. So the night of the Douglas um, Tyson fight. I had a friend of mine, her name was Becky. She was over at my condo where I was living at the time. And um, my future brother-in-law, the one that lives in Seattle, called me up and said, hey, you've got HBO, right? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, Tyson's fighting Douglas tonight. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. What time's that on? It starts at like midnight. Remember, it started really late. Yeah, because it was in Tokyo. Yeah, so my this girl was at my house, and we were we we were well on our way. I and all I remember, Tommy, and this is one of those I would never have remembered this night if it had not been for Douglas Tyson, right? Because I'll never forget when Tyson finally got knocked down in the ninth round or whatever. That sobered me up about as quickly as anything could have. I remember standing up going, oh, my God. Are you, do you remember how shocking that was? Oh, yeah. So shocking. Yeah, that, that was the, the fight where uh, nobody even sent any reporters to go cover it because they thought it right. was going to be such a one-sided fight. Yeah. I think there was the Boston Globe and AP and some paper from a, a, a Japanese bureau yeah. who, who was there. Usually, there'd be a whole mess of reporters who would follow every Tyson fight. But no one was spending money going to Tokyo for what they thought would be a Tyson walkthrough. I never, by the way, th that, that was the most, uh, to me in my lifetime, that's the biggest upset and the most shocking upset in any sporting event ever for me. T Tyson Douglas. Well, for me, it was Foreman Moore. I know you've talked about yeah, that a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's a, but that it's was the greatest sporting moment I've ever covered, and uh, it, it, considering he's 40, that, forty-five years old, right? Yeah, and considering he got he he was getting you know his his lights punched out for nine rounds before he knocked more out. That that was a huge surprise. I got to tell you, uh, Holofield beating Tyson in their first fight was kind of stunning because uh, Holofield was a twenty-five to one underdog. Was and, that the ear biting the ear off? No, no, this fight? is the one before okay. that. This is the one where where Holofield was coming off a fight with Bobby Chez at the Garden, right? Uh, where I had been, and he looked terrible. He won, but Bobby Chez was a blown-up cruiserweight, and Holofield looked terrible, and people feared for his life 
going into that first fight with Tyson. That's when Tyson, you know, was walking through guys again, coming out of jail. He beat Bruce Selden in two rounds. He, he Frank Bruno had blessed himself 12 times before he walked up to the ring right. and then got knocked out. So Tyson was invincible again, and Evander had looked just terrible. And people, it was a 25-to-1 shot, and it was great to watch how Evander had basically out outbullied the bully in, in that fight. But that's not going to go down on the list. No, of the it's not. Upsets. I think it's forgotten, though. Yeah. 25 to 1 underdog. That's a pretty big upset. I, You know, I, I'm sitting here thinking about others. Like Tyson Douglas is always my first one that I think of. So that, for me, that is the one. And it was so shocking, too, because it happened. I mean, you saw it. Like The thing about the Douglas-Tyson fight that I'll, I'll, I'll never forget about that fight watching it as I was um, impacted for the first portion yes. of the fight, is I remember thinking, man, that Douglas is just bigger than Tyson, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, yeah. he was, and he wasn't afraid. Yeah. Like, he's the first guy not to be afraid. Yes. But, um, you know, in thinking about the upsets, you know, of, of my lifetime, obviously the U.S. beating the Soviets in the, in the semifinals of the 80 Lake Placid games, and then really, as shocking as anything, and it happened only two years ago, was UMBC beating Virginia. In the NCAA yes. tournament as a 16 over a 1. Like, that's up there among them. By the way, speaking of Virginia, they beat Syracuse last night, Aaron, 48 to 34. Yeah. Tony Bennett has four <laughs> new starters on that team, and they still are unbelievable in defense. Syracuse had two points in the first 10 minutes of the game. First 10 in and Syracuse, half, yeah. right? Yeah, at the Carrier Dome. Wow. At the Carrier Dome. Um, all right, Valerie, 30 how many years ago? Uh, 37 years ago. Okay, and for me, it wasn't the last time, but I do remember Tyson, Douglas, Becky, and my future brother-in-law was one of the last do you times. Think, do you think you will want, will smoke weed again in your lifetime? Yes, I do. I think I will, too. I definitely think I will. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, I was never... I don't know about you. I think we've had this conversation before, and I think you, you, you're sort of the same. I never was a I never was a drug user. I never used drugs. Like I never, still, I've never once used cocaine. And I, I. and I grew up in the '80s at at a big university yeah. where it was all around me, everywhere. Was there an opportunity? I was always sort of afraid to use it, especially after bias died. I mean, to me, I drank. And you know, and I occasionally smoked weed, and that was it. Actually, well, I, 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 actually, I think I did other things, but like once or twice, and that was it. I got to tell you, the, the marijuana was a bit out of control when I lived in Miami. I bet it was. Okay, that that was a little bit, a little bit out of control. Because that's seventies for you, yeah, and eighties for me at Maryland was cocaine. Yeah, I mean, it was it was everywhere where you everywhere you went, it was available. Um. But I never, I, I was always sort of afraid of drugs. Weed wasn't something I was afraid of. Well, I was worried about the but risk I didn't, of getting but caught. I didn't, but I didn't smoke a lot. I, I really was not a, a weed smoker at all. I was always worried about the risk of getting caught. You were? Well, yeah. I yeah. mean, by, by the cops. If you got caught by the cops, then it, it would be a problem. Yeah, it was, I you guess, know? back then. Not, yeah. not anymore. So why do you think you would smoke weed again? Well, because I, I the curiosity factor at this point. How would, what about for health? Like, what if? I mean, it may be something that at your age, given all of your aches and pains, I don't have that many. You've aches got and some pains. aches and pains. No, I don't. I know you want to <laughs> pay that. 
I got less aching pains now than I did five years That's ago. That's true. So you've taken uh, you've taken care of all those aches. And yeah. Pains. So uh, I just think more of a curiosity factor at, at, at this point. I would just like to sleep better. I think. I, did I tell you that we got a puppy recently? No, I thought you had a dog. We do have a dog. We got another dog. So you got another. You got two dogs. You're a two dog. I always look at people like when they have two or three dogs, and I'm saying, what is wrong with you? What is missing in your life? What is missing in your brain? <laughs> well, let me just say that it wasn't my choice. Okay. Um, but we have a. a well, aren't you? Aren't you a member of the family? I am. Don't you have a say? I I typically do, but in this particular instance, I didn't. Anyway. I love our puppy. She's she's a she's an it's an English bulldog. Uh-huh. They're they're really very cute dogs. However, I feel like I'm in prison at home now. There are gates all over my house. Yes. There are just gates in front of every and, room. And you see the thing and, is if you have a dog, you gotta let him have the run of the house. I well You really she, do. She doesn't. She has a, a general area in which she has the run, but that's why there are gates up. And now the other dog at home does not like the puppy at all. We got a major problem with the the relationship that has not yet developed between the dog that we had, who's very jealous, clearly, yeah. and not very happy that we brought another dog home, and our little puppy, who is, again, adorable, cute, loving puppy, and I actually do like her a lot, but it's leading to less sleep than even before which means I'm probably going to go find some weed tomorrow in my gated house. Well, you need what you need to do is feed it to the dog. Maybe that might get, that would take care of it. She doesn't bark a lot, but she's up and you know she's being she's being trained right now, you know? So and I'm I'm trying to participate. Why do you need this in I, your life I, right now? You know what I need? A one-bedroom efficiency <laughs> with a big couch, a couple of big couches, a couple of big screens, and a couple of refrigerators. You want to come by and hang out with me? <laughs> sounds like a plan. That sounds like it would be fun. I used to say that all I want is when I retire is a room at the Y I know you with a say. hot plate and a ping-pong table downstairs <laughs> in the TV right. room. That's it, all. I mean... We would be in. We'd we'd have a blast. Couple of big screens, couple of refrigerators. We'd we'd load that thing up with beer, and 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 uh, food would all be delivered. I mean, we wouldn't make a thing. Would we have a weed guy? We'd have a weed guy that would deliver deliver it whenever we wanted it. All right. We'd have we'd have a couple of bookies to choose from. I got I got a couple of those in in town that I'm. Oh, so we're gonna go out with a bang, aren't we? (laughs) We're going out with a bang. Yeah. We're gonna have some fun though. Um, I don't know if our wives would appreciate that, but you know. It would just be a house we'd hang out with uh, together in one day a week, you know, like a Saturday. Okay, meet like you there club. at noon. Yeah, like like a it's club. A, a little bit of a club. We yes. could invite our friends. Yeah, we'd have a club. <laughs> Let's start a club. I think actually that's a brilliant idea. Like if we all you know participated, you know, we find a place that's you know reasonable rent. We all throw in the money and we all it becomes a, a club place. A club. What would we name the club? Ah, we we need an identity for the club. Yes, we need identity yes, we for do. the club. Yes, um, we do. Because the, the, I told you about the conversation I had on, on radio this morning, which we'll get to, and that is identity of a, NFL teams. Like, how many teams really have a, an identity? We'll get to that in a little bit. We're going to get to some sports here in a little bit, but we're enjoying this conversation. What would the name of the club be? We'd have to think about this. You're, be- I can't, you're better at that stuff. I, I can't think about this off, off, the, off the top of my head. I need some grass. <laughs> need some I need grass. some weed. Well, th- you know what? We'll call it the weed. Okay. 
because you just referred to it as grass, which I don't think anybody since 1968, you know, out in in Berkeley has referred to it as grass. Mary Jane. Mary Jane. All right, enough of this. Um, So Dwayne Haskins is going to start. Just what Jets. you want. It's 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 your dream come true. Well, it's what they should be doing. It would be stupid not to. You agree with that? Well, yes, I do. I, I agree with that. I don't know why he hasn't been starting yet, and I still have not got a a, a reasonable explanation from any anybody on the outside as to why Dan Snyder has not forced this issue up to this up to this point. Uh, I just I I don't understand. I don't understand if he's if he's just going along with what his football people want or if he's seen what he's got there and is worried about exposing this kid too early. Uh, you know, this whole fear of having the fan base turning against him, which you dismiss. Uh, I, I don't know why it's come to this, given the fact that up until the, the beginning of the season, Everything indicated that this was Dan Snyder's quarterback, and that most people would assume that as soon as you know, as soon as the owner could, he'd get him on the field. You have an interim head coach. Uh, there was an NBC Sports Washington report that uh, Callahan, you know, didn't take over the job unless he was given total oh, control. Right. We haven't talked about over that. the roster, yeah. and I'm thinking, well, you know. You know who has total control over the guy who has total control over the roster? The owner. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking that's worth the paper. That's not even worth the paper that it was printed on, if it's true. So I just don't understand why it's come to this, and what's going. You still have Joe Theismann and and Santana Moss and other players going on the radio and saying, "Don't start him." Don't start him. Where did Joe say that recently? I think he said on 1067 a fan. Because when I had Joe on two weeks ago, I think he was ready for Haskins to start. So I'm interested as to why he would think after the the Buffalo game that he shouldn't start anymore. I haven't talked to Santana, but I haven't had Santana on the show in a while, but he was dead set against it for a while, as were you know people like Clinton and Sean Springs and Fred Smoot. Smoot, I think, is still against it because he says, wait until you get Urban Meyer. To come in, I swear to God, I'll give anybody $1,000. Well, I better back off of that. I'll give you $1,000, one person $1,000 if Urban Meyer's the coach here next year. Why would Urban Meyer come work for Dan Snyder or Dan Snyder and Bruce Allen? Yes. I mean, you'd have to pay him so much money and give him so much control. Um, for that to happen. And by the way, if you did that, I would be excited because to me, the only reason somebody like that would come here is with contractual control. But um, but we've seen the value of that before. We have, but we don't know if it was contractual control. No, it was un- more of, under hey, Marty? No, under Marty. Yeah, well, yeah. We that saw was it, contractual and then, control. Right. And then he said, well, and I got to take that back from you. And Marty yeah. said, no, you, you're not going to take it back from me. Right. Fire me yeah. instead. And that's what he did. Yeah. Shanahan, I don't know what he had in terms of c- contractually. Right. If, if, he had, he had, if he had it, I mean, I've always, if he had control, I think he, this was a situation where he was too smart for, for his own good. Right. If he had control, I think he thought he could handle the owner. Um, and that didn't work. But again, I, I I'm still I'm still puzzled as to why. And I I didn't I don't I don't care one way or the other. 
if I don't know if he's any good or not. I'm just surprised that it took this long for Dwayne Haskins to start. I am. T- I'm not surprised. I'm just disappointed that it took this long for him to start. By the way, back to what we didn't talk about Tuesday because it hadn't happened yet. J.P. Finley's report that Callahan basically said to Dan and Bruce or Bruce. Uh, no, I'm not going to be the interim head coach without full control and decision-making ability over the roster. I I just can't believe – I mean, how how delusional do you have to be to feel like Bill Callahan is such a great guy and so capable and has to be your interim coach that you're going to give him roster control? I would have said to Bill – Bill, you're a nice guy. Really appreciate it and really enjoy working with you. If you don't mind, just please leave and go back and coach the offensive line. I'm going to see if Rob wants the gig or see if uh, Ray Horton or or Jim Tom Sula wants the gig. Are you kidding me? Like this is, and this is what I said yesterday on the show, Tommy, on, on the radio show. This was Bruce Allen's Hail Mary. I am absolutely convinced that this was it for him, and I think it's going to be it for him. I think he's done at the end of the year. I know I said this last year and I was wrong. I'll probably be wrong again. This was him saying, we're close. We've got the players. We have a bad head coach now. He's gone bad on us, Dan. He just doesn't care that much anymore. Um, we got The injuries have taken its toll on him. He, no one's responding to him anymore. They'll respond to Bill. We get rid of Jay. We put Bill in here. We're 0-5. We may not win enough this year to get to the postseason, but you're going to see what's going to happen here with Bill in charge. We're going to make a run, and then we get Alex back next year, or maybe it's time for Dwayne to play. This is the move. This was Bruce's Hail Mary. And that Hail Mary, by the way, hit the turf. It got pounded to the turf by a defensive back waiting for it in the end zone because they did not think that they would be 1-8. They didn't think they'd be 0-5, and then when when Callahan took over, they really felt like Callahan could get it back to you know somewhere around four and five or or three and six, and have a chance to get back to seven, eight wins and be close. And they're one and eight. And they're lucky to be one and eight because they shouldn't. If Fitzpatrick plays for even one quarter more in the Miami game, they're 0 and nine. Right. Um. So this was, I think, Bruce's hail mary. I really do. I think Bruce is going to be gone at the end of this year. I'm get. I don't know anything. I just my 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 vibe and this desperation attempt to give to, to for Callahan, a guy he's familiar with, he won with in Oakland, and to give him that much authority. And by the way, good for Bill for asking for it. Um, but to give that to him, for, for Bruce to give that to him, and I don't even know if it, bottom line is they could fire him tomorrow yeah. and get. And I get mean, control you can of the fire back. if you can fire a head coach. You can fire an interim head coach, yeah, um, and it should be easier. But this thing, you know, has gone even further south. Like they were in, you know, South Florida, headed for the Keys, yes. and now they're in South America. This season is because they didn't expect to be one and eight. They they really thought they were better than this, and I think Bruce really thought Callahan. You know, I think he thinks Callahan's doing a lot of the right things. You know, but um. But obviously, it's not showing up on the field. I think Bruce is going to be done. I, I don't think so. I mean, I think, I think you know, with Bruce, it, it, he's he's like the champion who keeps winning. You, you don't pick against him until he finally loses. He's got to get knocked out. Yeah. So I, th- well, I think that maybe the combination of this Callahan, Gruden, Trent Williams stuff is the knockout. Maybe it all adds up. It's a lot of you know jabs and uppercuts, and then finally he just drops. Because Snyder, Look, Jake Glazer said 
said at one point this season, he said, Bruce isn't going anywhere. He's Snyder's wings and beer guy. That's the best way to describe it, I think. Yeah. Well, the wings and beers, um, it's the, the, they don't taste as good, and the beer ain't as cold when you're one and eight. <laughs> Who was the uh, Orioles announcer? Um, was it Chuck Thompson? Yeah, ain't the beer cold. Ain't the beer cold. Yeah. Uh, who was who his sidekick? Why am I blanking on it? was Chuck Thompson and the or- famous Orioles pairing for all those years. I don't remember who it was uh, in, in the early years. Uh, John Miller was with uh, him well, for a this long was, time. This was pre-John I Miller. I know. I don't know. Um, I'll, I'll find it out here shortly. Uh, all right. So he's going to start. So here's a question for you and for me to answer. Can you truly evaluate Dwayne Haskins after eight games and make a decision as to whether or not he's good enough to move forward with? Are, are eight games enough? You know, I don't think 16 games would be enough for this team. To, to evaluate him with this team, uh, with this coaching staff, with these players, I think you could have a situation where Dwayne Haskins could stink up the joint for the rest of the year, wind up being passed over by the Redskins who move on, goes to play for another team, and then winds up succeeding. Uh, so it's so. first of all, I just want to say, I don't think you can really evaluate him because the Redskins are, are such a, a shit show. This, but given that they are, given that's what you've got to work with, I think you can evaluate him by, by the end of the season. I think you can come to some sort of conclusion that he's the guy you can move forward with or he's the guy you need to put in the rearview mirror. Yeah, I, I th- this is a hard thing for some of the reasons you said and for some of the, the the some other reasons that would just be, you know, pretty typical for any, you know, normal NFL team with a rookie quarterback only playing and only starting 8 games. Like is it a true evaluation? The, the over the last 10 years, more times than not you pretty much got a pretty good read on a rookie quarterback when they played a lot in their rookie year. Ultimately, it was like if you kept him and you played him, it turned out he was pretty good. And if you didn't, like Locker and Ponder and Gabbert and a few others, turned out they weren't very good. But Jared Goff is the is the um, is the warning on on bailing too early. He started and played in seven games his rookie year with Jeff Fisher as the head coach and not a great situation with the coaching staff, et cetera. And then he got the perfect head coach and the perfect system for him. And he went from, you know, basically more interceptions than touchdowns to twenty eight touchdowns, seven interceptions in his first year starting under Sean McVay. So you got to be a little bit careful to coming coming to any real conclusions after one year. With that said, I do think that eight games will provide us like enough information to have a lean, like you know the way I always refer to you know game gambling right. a gambling lean. Like I'd lean in this direction, but I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, you know I think we'll find out what kind of competitor he is, what kind of leadership ability he has what kind of learner and how quick of a learner he is. And I think all the natural things that Mike Shanahan, I'm not saying this on my own, just so the, you know, the things I've learned about quarterbacking, I've learned from, from people who know quarterbacking. There you go. Okay. Mike Shanahan's told me a lot of things about quarterbacking over the last, you know, six, seven years. And one of those things is, you know, if you don't throw with anticipation, I talked about this Sunday, you're probably it, it, naturally, you're coaching and time, 
you'll improve a little bit, but it'll never be great. If you're not an accurate thrower, um, it's you'll improve it a little bit, but it'll never be great. If you don't have natural feel for where the pressure's coming, and you've got that you know in that sense of you know sort of the eyes in in the back of the head and the peripheral vision, you probably aren't gonna you know have it. I think we'll see examples of whether he has those things or not over an eight game period. I think actually we we saw some of it on Sunday. I think he throws with really good anticipation, and I think he has really good feel and vision in the pocket to to extend play. Plays. Um, but I so I think those are things we're going to know at the end of eight games. It'll give us a, a, the ability to say, yeah, I think it. I think he's got a shot, or no, he doesn't have a shot. The other things too that we won't see on the field are the things we hear. You know, if we start hearing not not a great worker, not really good in practice, not really given the effort, like some of those things were coming out a couple of weeks ago. Yes, you know, the, the, you know, I, I don't. Th- those could be chalked up to bad coaching staff, bad organization. Um, but I, I, but we don't. I, my guess is we're not going to hear those things. I bet we're going to see eight games that give us an indication or give us a lean that it's probably worth sticking with it. That is my guess over the final seven games. And I was not a huge fan of his coming out of Ohio State. I didn't think he was going to be a great pro. And I'm not about to say that I think he's going to be a great pro. I just don't think we're going to see anything so alarming to get us off of it after eight games. That's my guess. Well, you got it. When when you're making the judgments, you have to try to figure out a way – to divide it, to like divide it between uh, the the inherent uh, the inherent problems that he may have and the coaching problems he may have, and you got to figure out a way somehow. We, I mean, I don't know if we can from from afar uh, to figure out. Well, that that's a coaching issue, or that's a Dwayne issue. You got to be able to divide those. I mean, you pretty much you know said that here leadership. Work ethic. I mean, those are Dwayne issues, one way or the other. Right. Uh, and you have to divide. You have to separate those from the fact that he has he has very little coaching. I mean, that you could feel good about. Uh, you know, I don't care how many crowns they want to put and on the players Kevin around him too. Yeah. And the yeah, and, 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 and absolutely, uh, absolutely. So, so it's 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 a difficult judgment to make. I think you're right. I think. I think you know you'll probably won't see enough to bail on him, and if you don't see enough to bail on him, that means you're going to stick with him. And also, let's be clear about one thing: they're not going to bail on him, no matter what the results are over these final seven games. Dan Snyder or the combination of Dan Snyder and Bruce Allen are not going to draft another quarterback in April of 2020. That ain't happening. All right. Now, they may re-sign Case Keenum. They may have Alex Smith as the plan in 2020, but they're not moving on from the 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 idea that Dwayne is the future after one year. There's no I'm not the conversation that we just had was how will we be able to evaluate? What will we have a better sense? They may have a better sense and probably a better sense than we will, but they're not going to move on from him. It's not their nature to admit being wrong. Right. You know, so, and, and by the way, I think we've already talked about this, but this is also going to influence the, you know, coaching hire. You can't come in here as a coaching hire if you're Eric Bieniemy, as an example, or, you know, you're, um, 
you know, uh, a, a, a defensive coach. Like I was thinking about defensive coaches. This guy Eberflus in Indianapolis is doing a great job. He's going to have a, sh- a shot at being a coach. Dennis Allen, who was a head coach in Oakland, is doing a phenomenal job in New Orleans. He may have a shot again. You know, those kinds of people aren't going to be able to come in here and say, yeah, no, I, I'm really interested in the job, but I evaluated Dwayne Haskins. He's not going to be the guy. We are gonna we need to draft a quarterback. We've got the number two pick in the draft, and we need to take one of these quarterbacks. So when you could, They're not getting a job. No, so you when you do the interview, you already know what the right answer is. Like Jay Gruden did. Yes, like Jay did. Yeah. Sure, Robert, I, I, I can work with him. Right. Yeah. Even though you got to figure... That would be a great question to ask Jay Gruden. Did you know when you get got hired that Gru, that Griffin was a non-starter and like you, you there was no way it was going to work out with him? And oh by the way, how did you handle that conversation in your interview? <laughs> I'd like to know that. Yeah. Cuz there's no way he got that job without saying I can make Robert work. Of course work. not. And, of course he didn't. <clears throat> and he gave conflicting answers in interviews within days after being hired. <laughs> yeah, he did. You know? I mean, you know, you, you you can't win with a running quarterback interview. Yeah. So. Right. So, um, yeah, I don't think the, the next coach is getting – the next coach is a guy that will have told Dan or Dan and Bruce, yeah, I, I'm a big Dwayne Haskins believer. I think this is – Dwayne is – I don't think. I know Dwayne is our future quarterback. Isn't it <clears throat> exhausting, though? Oh, so exhausting. It's, isn't it exhausting trying it's depressing, to depressing fig- actually trying to figure out trying to get into the into the small minds of, of Bruce Allen and Dan Snyder? It it's 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 exhausting. It's exhausting trying to figure out agendas. It's exhausting trying to figure out motives. It's it's like a law and order uh a show. You know, I mean, what's the motive? What what what's the agenda? What's the intent? I mean, a- every move that 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 they seem to do you you have a sense that there's some kind of diabolical reason behind it. It's it's got to be exhausting. It's exhausting for me. I mean, and and I don't have any horse in the race. Um, it's yeah, it's exhausting. It's depressing. But you know, those are like depressing is like an emotion. I don't know that people have so many people now are emotionless about this. They've moved on. It's what we've always talked about, that apathy is the biggest But you see, we can't thing. move on. We can't move on. We, and, that, that's the thing. And, we and, can't, and we audience, can't stop. And, and our audience doesn't move no. on. And you know what's funny is I hear from people all the time that say they've moved on, but listen. Yes. Because I think it's just there's an entertainment. You yeah. know, it's, it's sort of a rubbernecking thing. You know, it's like there's, <laughs> Look at that car there's, crash. There's that car crash. Let's yeah. watch it and listen to it. So I do um, – I know what you're saying. And and that's where, you know, we keep, we keep coming back to it is that it doesn't really matter whether or not Dwayne Haskins <laughs> proves that yes, he yes. should get another year or not. It's like, because Dan's still going to be here, and Bruce may still be here, although I think the chances are increasing that he won't. Um, but I thought that last year, and I'll probably be wrong. You know, the only we, – we've talked about this a bunch too. The only path out is that Dwayne ends up being, you know, Philip Rivers or Peyton Manning or yeah. you know somebody so great Aaron Rodgers that you know the dysfunction that surrounds him you know basically gets masked by his brilliance on the field and he becomes and his so brilliance in the locker room and he becomes so powerful that nobody can afford to cross him right. and he uses that power for good not evil right <laughs> yes 
as as you know, we've seen the power you know uh, bestowed upon you know at least early greatness yes. in a career and how that um, sort of backfired. You know, the, the the other thing too, I know we've talked about this before too. We 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 do a lot of repeating on this show and other shows, I'm sure. But there are a lot of people that just don't want it as long as Dan is the owner. Like, even if Dwayne turned out to be Peyton Manning, does that mean that if they win it all, Dan's going to get the Lombardi trophy handed to him by Roger Goodell? <laughs> I don't want to see that. You know what? I think as long as I think that, that we can go a long way in, um, in feeling a, a, a little bit more like we can invest in the team if Bruce is gone. Because you know Dan's not going anywhere. But I think if Bruce were gone, people would be like, okay, uh, let's give it another shot. Is he going to give somebody, is he going to hire somebody good, somebody that, that's more likable, that's more competent? Well, you see, that's a that's – Is a, he able to do it? That's a two-part move. It's not just getting rid of Bruce. It's who he replaces him I know, with. of course. I mean, if you get the right guy to exci- – I mean, we've seen that once here. Actually, people were people were not excited about Bruce Allen when he got hired, but compared to the guy he was replacing, yes, he seemed like you know Albert Einstein. I know, you know. So I mean, there was that initial idea, and he came on board. I felt that way. Yeah, I, I, I did too. I, I didn't feel like he was a proven football mind, but I thought that there were gonna there was gonna be an adult back in the organization that would stop the madness of of what was had been going on for ten years. Yeah, there had been there had been a highway from the locker room to Dan Snyder's office, and Bruce Allen was going to put up a toll booth. Right. And that really didn't happen. Bruce was brought in to get to actually be the disciplinarian, as yeah. it turned out. Yeah. To actually be the fiscally prudent one. Because the overspending on all of those, you know, aging, big-named free agents had backfired so many times. They hadn't used the draft before 2010. But remember, Bruce really didn't get his choice of the coach. The coach was pretty much picked before Bruce got here, even though the announcement wasn't made until afterwards. Right, and do we know <clears throat> that it, – it, did Shanahan pick Bruce? No, Shanahan was just, fine, bring Bruce in. Okay. I know Bruce, Bruce, but – I've got, I'm making the football decisions, right. which was the case for the for when Mike was here for the most part. Except it started off, you know, um, with the biggest decision, <laughs> quarterback with yeah. McNabb, the McNabb yeah. trade, which which Shanahan claims he didn't really approve of. Although, again, we've talked about this many times, he was fine with the RG three drafting. People like to say that he, they, Dan Snyder drafted RG three, and Shanahan didn't want him. That's not true. He told well, us he, he, he it, it wasn't his idea. No, but he was the he he was the one who evaluated him. He was I, the I one down that. there evaluating him I and said that, but, and said, "Let's do it." Okay, but it wasn't his idea. Well, they, they, that, was, it a, that been, was consensus. If if it had been up to him, totally, I'm betting he wouldn't have drafted RG three. No, I think he he would have. I don't think so. Um, I think that he would have drafted RG three. I think he would have preferred Andrew Luck, but I think he would have drafted RG three. But he wouldn't. He would have he 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 had a longer term plan with RG three right. that was interrupted. Yeah, no, I I, I think that the uh, Mike told us that day on that that interview. Mike said I was in on RG three. I spent a lot of time with Robert and his family and evaluating him, and I was all on board. It was a steep. 
price that I wasn't necessarily, you know, all on board with, but that was the price that had to be paid. And if we had known about the salary cap penalty, we would have never done it. We would have never made uh, yeah, the trade. Uh, absolutely. But yeah. I, don't, I don't want to do this again. But he also did say, he also did say something to the effect, I told them, if you want to do this. It wasn't that. Oh, yes, it you're, was. You're putting it in a slightly different. That's what he said. If what you want said, to do this. He said, there are two things you both need to understand. One is he's going to have to play football a certain way early in his career so we can get him on the field, and it's going to be exciting, but he's not ready to be a drop-back quarterback. He didn't do it in college. He didn't read defenses in college, and this is going to be a process with him to become that. And then number two, the and he, he, t- he told Bruce and Dan, my one concern about him personally is he's never faced adversity before. Never. And there was one instance in which he had a conversation with Robert and his father. Remember this story he told us? Yeah. He put on the Oklahoma State Baylor tape. It was Griffin's worst game of his career. And he said Griffin and his father fell all over each other blaming Art Bryles for the offense and the play calling in the loss as Griffin threw multiple picks in the game. And he told Bruce and Dan... He's not faced adversities. He's had a a real easy path, you know, to this. He's got incredible talent, incredible charisma, and he's not faced adversity. And we just need to be aware that you know this is going to be. You got to let me coach him. Basically, you got to let me coach him and develop him. Okay, that's the way you remember it, and I think you're right the for the I've most part. Talked about it with him multiple I, I, I times get that, over but the years. In, in the interview we did, he said, "If you want to do this." This is what's going to have to happen. Okay, well, what were the two things? The things well, I don't I remember. It doesn't matter. In other words, what he said, if you want to do this. I think that's the way you heard it. That's that's what that's putting <laughs> it on them. I don't think he said it that way. Well, I think he did. He said, I, I'll never forget it because I've played it back many times and I've had the conversation with him. What he said was, there are two things you need to be aware of before we all commit to this. One is he can't play quarterback like most quarterbacks early in his career. That's going to take time, and we're going to have to play a different brand of football to get him on the field, which we're excited about. Number two is this is a guy who's never faced adversity, and in the one game that he had a very difficult time with, in my conversation with him, his father, his family, they threw Art Bryles under the bus as quickly as they could do it, and that's a bit of a concern to me. Those were the two things that he was okay. concerned about. I, I get that. I think he more went along than it was his choice. All right. Well, build any sort of you know memory of it that you want. Okay. Okay. Do it any way you want to do it. Bottom line is he was not against drafting RG three, and he told us that. Well, he wasn't against draft uh, trading for Donovan McNabb either. He w- that was not his first choice. No. His first choice was uh, the West Virginia quarterback that was playing for the Rams. Mark Bulger. Mark Bulger. And, but Bulger retired. And then the second part of that was we can do McNabb, but not for a second and a fourth and a new deal. We do it for a second or th- we do it for a, th- a second only or a third and a fourth. We don't do it for a second and a fourth, and we do not give him a new deal. Right. That was what he said, and they went ahead and gave uh, gave Philly a second and a fourth and, and, and did a new deal. Yes, they did. <laughs> so he was not happy about that one. No. That must have been a rude awakening to his start, you know, because that was the first. They, they had not played a game yet. I know. I know. That it was, was that Easter was, Sunday. I April. remember. It was Easter Sunday. A couple of, sun, a couple of months after he was hired. Yeah, and, and again, I think, I think part of what Mike's problem was 
uh, I think he was, he's such a political animal that he thought that he could handle them, and he couldn't. I think that that is true. I think he just figured he could handle them, Yeah, and it, it turned out to not be true. No. Figured that, in, and that's probably why, unlike Marty, he pro- I don't know this for sure, but maybe he didn't have contractual authority over the football operation. That would be hard to believe if he didn't. I, know. I, I would think that Mike Shanahan, after the, after the Jim Zorn era, could have basically had Dan Snyder's house if he wanted to. I mean, at that point, you're walking in, you're dictating terms. You know, if you're a two-time Super Bowl winning coach and you're taking over a team that just had Jim Zorn as the coach, I mean, I, I, I find it hard to believe that you wouldn't have asked for total control and gotten it. But we don't know. We don't know. I'm going to find out, though. <laughs> okay. I'm going to find out. Okay, that's it for right now. Um, so Dwayne Haskins is going to start against the Jets. He's going to start against the Jets, and he's going to start the rest of the year is my guess. And do you think that Greg Williams is happy about that? I don't know. The They're, defensive they, coordinator? They, they, they have their own issues, don't oh, they? Oh, the Jets, are, <laughs> yeah. the Jets are, are, are horrible friends. They're worse than the Redskins in, 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 as a franchise. Okay, and that's not to make you feel you, good. Really? You know, Redskins. You oh yeah. Listen, the Jets have not been to the Super Bowl since 1969. Yeah, they're they're a worse franchise than than, than the Redskins overall. Haven't been a former Jets fan. Trust me, they're worse. But but that's not to make you feel good, Redskins fans. This notion that that you do every once in a while out there. Well, what about the Bengals and what about the Jets? Does that make you does that make you feel better? That there, that there's other there's other horrible franchises around the league. With that said, I would think Greg Williams will be licking his chops to uh, get whatever pathetic defense he has go up against the rookie quarterback uh, a week from Sunday. Um, the Jets are a horrible organization. The Redskins are a horrible organization. The Browns are not a very good organization. Those are the three bottom feeders. Miami actually has a plan. You know, they actually have a plan, although they're... They're, they're going to fire their coach before the end of the year. I don't know if they are. They're going against the plan by keeping Fitzpatrick in there, yeah. giving him a chance to win games. Um, but anyway, a uh, quick word about mybookie.ag. If you're looking for a place to bet the game tonight, Chargers-Raiders, good Thursday night game, uh, go to mybookie.ag if you don't have a place. Uh, mybookie.ag has fast payouts, solid lines, plenty of ways to bet games all sports, in-game action, straight bets, parlays, teasers, the whole nine yards. I wouldn't be telling you guys about mybookie.ag if they weren't reliable. Where you play is as important as who you play on. There are there are places out there that are very difficult to get paid once you've put your deposit down. MyBookie.ag is not one of those. Go to MyBookie.ag. They'll double your first deposit if you use my promo code KevinDC, K-E-V-I-N-D-C. That's what they'll do. They'll double your first deposit. Uh, that kind of offer only exists if you use my promo code KevinDC. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Um, okay, so this morning on the radio show, uh, I, I I don't know how it came about, but basically, you know how when people say, Tommy, about football in particular, it's so much more about football, got to have an identity. Teams got to have an identity. If you don't have an identity, there's nothing you can do. Like Pittsburgh's got an identity. Baltimore's got an identity. These are teams with identity. The Redskins have to have an identity. So I started to think about it a little bit. 
what teams in the NFL right now have like an identity that when you think of that team, this is this is what you think of. Like Baltimore, you think of tough, hard-nosed, physical. Pittsburgh, the same thing. New England's got an identity to me. They're just smarter than everybody else. Yeah. That's their identity. After that, who's got an identity? The Saints. What's their identity? Uh sort of like the same same thing as the Patriots. Patriots light. I think everyone thinks that yeah that uh, Sean Payton is one of the smartest guys in the league and Drew Brees is one of the smartest quarterbacks in the league. So I tend to think that. I mean, look. So the, their identity is Patriots light? Yeah. That's their identity. Yeah. You just sort of answered the question. You 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 have give me another team with an identity because you just, that whatever you just said is not no, the Saints' the identity. Redskins have an identity. A dysfunction. Yeah, I, I like off putting dysfunction. I like to call it Chinatown. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but but seriously, like I, the, this identity thing. Somebody called in today and said the Saints have an identity, and I said, well, what is it? They said home field advantage. Like, they are unbelievable at home. And I'm like, you know what? When I think of the Saints, I think they're really tough to beat at home. Yeah. Like, that is, you know, part of their identity. But, you know, they've gone from having great offensive teams to now they're a great defensive team. They've never been a great defensive team before. Um, Well, it's interesting. The Raiders still have this mystique more than identity. It's a mystique. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and but, by the way, it's historical mystique. Yeah, it's, it's historical mystique. They, 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 don't ha, they don't have an identity anymore. N- no, not this current team, but the franchise does. They've, the franchise has a brand. Okay. There's, there's a brand associated with the Raiders. As a football organization, what the Raiders don't have an identity. You know, like the, the Steelers, because it's been the same ownership, the same front office, and the same coach forever. They are tough hard-nosed, fits the city's reputation, as does Baltimore. Same thing. Like, Baltimore and Pittsburgh, great. By the way, Pittsburgh hasn't had consistently great defense, and Baltimore's had a couple of years where they haven't necessarily been great. But you know there's like this hard-nosed, disciplined, physical brand of football. That's their identity. The Patriots are smarter than everybody else. What's Green Bay's identity? Aaron Rodgers? Can a person be the identity or Hall of Fame quarterbacks? Because they've had two of them in a row. Like, well, the Packers. The Packers' identity is is the frozen tundra of 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 Lambeau Field. Their stadium is their identity. Okay. Uh, look, I, the purpose of the identity is something for a football coach to write on a whiteboard in the locker room. I mean, this is who we are. Yes. This, this, I mean that. I mean, in football, more than other sports, you, coaches like to reduce things to slogans, sound bites, and identity. Why do you think that is, by the way? Well, because football, football has the impression of more of an emotional sport. In other words, people don't think in baseball that you can will circle of trust. You, but but when you're up there swinging for a home run, you can't will a home run. But if you're Adrian Peterson and you're breaking tackles, right? Contact people, sport. People have the impression that you can will, that you can actually push yourself in football to 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 accomplish certain goals. In basketball, you can't will the ball in the basket. You know, in in baseball, you can't will a home run. But in football, the idea that you can will yourself to stretch out for that catch, that uncatchable ball. That's part of what of of the football 
uh, th- thing. So I think that's why you have more slogans, more sound bites by coaches, more uh, more reliance on identity. Yeah. Because you want to you want to fire people up. You want to give people a reason to go out there and push themselves. Do the Cowboys have an identity? Oh. Well, the America's team. Again, that's a it's brand. a brand. That's more of a brand. So I, I think you're, you, there's a blurry line between brand and identity. I, I, I don't I don't know that there's a blurry line. But, but, the, but beside that, I guess my overall point is that most teams don't have an identity. But I do think the Redskins have made the attempt to build an identity here over the last couple of years. I think internally what the goal has been it's been to build up their offensive and defensive lines and be a good running football team and a good run-stopping team and win the way they were winning early in the year last year. I actually believe that there's been an internal emphasis to be that kind of a franchise. Now, you know, they're not. You know, they don't have no. an identity no. as a great running team or a great run-stopping team, but it's part of why I think they wanted to move on from Jay Gruden and that Callahan's, like for Bruce, it's, it, you know, th- this physical run, stop the run, it works in the NFL. It's a different day and age in the NFL. It's sort of old thinking, you know, it's not innovative thinking, but you can win that way. Look at Baltimore. I mean, it's it's although it's different in the way Baltimore is doing it, but they're running the football and they've been playing great defense. Um, but they're running the ball with their quarterback. Yes, you know a, a lot of it is. Um, but I think the Redskins have made an attempt to do that. Like Deron Payne, that makes sense. And and I, I Deron Payne and uh, John Allen and Matt Ioannidis are the three best young players on the team, more likely than not. We don't know about. You know, Geis, right? Or McC- we think McLaurin could be, yeah. Um, but they've wanted to, you know, be sort of a running team, and that's what they're trying to get to. Um, I don't know if they'll achieve it or not, and I don't know. I don't know if it be it would be good enough. You know, to me, what the Patriots do is obviously the gold standard. You know what? We're gonna we're gonna be two steps ahead of you at every turn. When you think we're gonna come out and be hard nosed, physical, and run it down your throat, we're gonna throw it fifty times and beat you. You know, like a drum. Like they're always a. a that's why their their identity to me is that they're just smarter than everybody else, and that's Belichick. Yeah, but did the, the Redskins come to this conclusion while Kirk was here? Um. Don't know. Do, I, I, mean, I mean, they didn't. I mean, because they, they threw the ball a lot when Kirk was I, here. I'll tell you where I think that they. I, th- this would make sense to me. I don't know this for sure. I have heard, by the way, over the last year and a half, that they want to be a physical, run the football downhill, stop the run kind of a team. I think in 2016, 2015, and 2016, and even 2017, it was like, wow, we can't stop anybody. We have to be better up front defensively. They drafted John Allen. They drafted Deron Payne in back-to-back drafts. There was a real emphasis and goal there in those two drafts to draft defensive linemen because they had been run on and defensively they had been so bad for so long. But there's a difference between trying to get better on defense and trying to, to change the persona of your team into something out of 1972. Right. I mean, by the way, that's not 1972. You still have teams in recent years. I I know that. I I, I get that. But it is 1972. Doesn't mean it can't work. 
but it is 1972. 1982. Yeah, it doesn't mean it can't work. Okay, but it's not 2019, Kevin. That's not the style that most teams play. It's true. So it's true. So if you're going, if you're going that in that direction, you better be so good at yes. doing both of those things. Yes. You know, you really do. Um, and, and then, and then, here's what you also need to do: if you're going to do that, you need to be able to switch over, because when you fall behind. Yeah. That style's not going to win. Now we're for getting you. into more strategy than identity, okay. but but you know, like Baltimore, Baltimore's identity is defense. It's been with even though they the year they won it in 2012, they actually weren't that very they weren't good defensively, very inconsistent. They were really good offensively that year, um, and I, I guess you know, I was thinking too, Tommy, that you know, in the day in this day and age, and it's been this way for twenty something years of free agency, it's hard to have, or it's really hard to build and then maintain sort of an identity because players change so much. If we go back to the 70s and think about football when you and I loved it and it was my first exposure to it, Raiders, Steelers, Dolphins, Cowboys. You know, the Cowboys' identity is they were technological. Like, they they were, you know, they they were like computer-like. Yes. You know, teams really did have true identities in the 70s and 80s, and you had the same players back every year, too. Well, it's not so much the the players. The purple people leaders in Minnesota, their defense. It's not so much the players. This speaks to Belichick and the Patriots. You have to have one guy in the organization – we talk about uh, like setting the tone. I mean, if you have one guy who's there for more than four or five years, uh, he's going to have an idea of what he wants his team to be like. He's going to create that identity. All the teams you talked about, Landry created the identity uh, of the Cowboys. You know, uh, Chuck Knoll created the identity uh, of, of the Steelers. So what you need is... You need consistency in this day and age to have any kind of identity. And you need you need real on the same page stuff from the uh, personnel people and your head coach, which is what well, Jay Gruden I, talked about. Yeah. That's why the whole combination of Ozzie and you know, at first, obviously, you had you know you had Marvin Lewis as a defensive coordinator for that first Super Bowl, yes. and they they were so good defensively. But over the last what is it ten plus years now of Harbaugh, Newsom, Newsom's gone now, but Eric DaCosta, right. you know, is was Ozzie's right hand guy. The consistency there, and by the way, everybody being on the same page, we're the Baltimore Ravens. We're going to have tough physical defensive and offensive teams. That's what we're going to do here. And, and it's going to fit our fan base. It's going to fit our crowd. And this is, and, and we know we can win doing yeah. it this way. But here's the problem with the Redskins is what I just described, consistency and a guy who's there for a while. The Redskins, I think, changed their identity while their coach was there. And that coach, Jay Gruden, did not fit the new identity they wanted. Well, they didn't have an identity to begin with. They weren't switching from anything. They well, were just trying I, to actually get one. Well, I, I think I think they were a more of a, a throwing offensive team. I think Jay Gruden had an idea what the identity was, right. and it wasn't this. Yeah, no, it wasn't this. Um, yeah, I mean, like just thinking back to you know the, the 80s, you know, when you had dominant teams – 
The Redskins of the 80s of Joe Gibbs, their identity was, I, I mentioned this this morning, which almost makes it a non-identity because identity seems singular to me. But they were smarter than everybody else and they were tougher than everybody else. It was a little bit of the Patriots and the Ravens sort of wrapped into one. Yeah. Right? Because they were one step ahead of everybody from a personnel standpoint. You know, how they managed the strike years. Bethard was a genius. Gibbs would do, you know, would do whatever it took to beat you. If he had to throw it a bunch, they threw it a bunch. If he had to run it a bunch, he, had, he ran it a bunch. But they do, they, those teams did have a reputation of running the football and stopping the run, playing a physical brand of football, at least early on, with well, the Hogs and... The identity of the Redskins were the Hogs. That's That was the identity. This is why Joe Jacoby should be in the Hall of Fame. That was the identity of, 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 of the three Super Bowl champions. Uh, so, uh, you know, I mean, the Redskins, I mean, they're... they're look, you, you, you say they're trying to create... An identity. I don't think that they'll be successful doing okay. it. You have to be really committed and smart and disciplined. So, and have so will some their next head coach be part of that identity? I have no idea. I mean, will they pick a coach that says, "Look, I mean, this is what we want to do. This is what you need." How many coaches are they going to get? I guess you, you're going to get a defensive head coach. If your if if your identity is to run the ball and to stop the run then you just might as well get a defensive head coach and have an offensive coordinator there to hand the ball Best off. Best head coach they've had under Dan was a defensive head coach, Marty. Yeah. That thing we, by the way, he was building an identity. Yes, he was. Um, you know what I, I mean, in terms of all this stuff, I just hope Dan looks at Bruce and says, your identity thing doesn't work. You don't work. I'm done with you. All right? You've sold me for too many years. And by the way, he's obviously uh, – a, a co-conspirator of all of this, um, and you got to go. And I'm going to find somebody who I don't know what I, I. I always think about it like, what if what if Dan came to me and said, "Fix it." How would I fix it? I would look for that kind of person that would come in, give him total control, and have sort of the an idea of of what he wants the organization and the teams to be. And lays out a good plan for it. And then uh, set up Snyder with a bunch of hookers and a photographer. <laughs> right? No, I would, I would have the contractual control going Oh, yeah. That, 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 that's good. What you need to do is send him on a three-hour tour you, with his yacht. What would you do if he came to you and said, Tommy, you know, I've been reading your columns for years. Really hard to read them online, by the way, but just uh, I digress. I need your input. What, how, would, how do you fix this thing? Well, I would tell him to move to Italy. <laughs> I would. Yeah. I'm serious. Okay. Go, go the, live in Italy. And then what? What are you going to do while I'm in Italy? And then I'm going to figure out who. who. Then, I, look, I'm not in the football industry. I don't know who the top football minds are. Right. But I've already fixed the problem. I've got Dan Snyder out of the country. <laughs> he's been out of the country a no, lot No, I need to stay out of the country. Oh, he's got to stay there. Yeah. He might want to put do an that. ankle bracelet on him to make sure you know where he is all the time. All right, we're done with this conversation. You <laughs> wanted to talk about something else, but real quick, no, I don't. I don't want to talk I, about anything. else. I want to thank Mama Lucia's for bringing lunch in today. They're great. The pizza's awesome. Today we got like a penne chicken mushroom with some real good sauce. Aaron and I got after it earlier. Tommy's going to bring it home with him and eat it. Uh, Mama Lucia's is awesome. Locations all around town. We thank them for the food today. Uh, you you did want to mention something about Tommy John. Um, so the the, uh, the the Strasburg. Yeah, g- give me that real quickly. Well, uh, I just wonder 
if when the when the uh, Nationals are evaluating how much to pay Steven Strasburg now moving forward, if they're taking into account a shelf life for a guy with Tommy John surgery, what is how, the shelf life? No, well, you know, it, it, it it's unclear at this point. Uh, but I I know based on conversations with people in the organization many years ago, like during the shutdown era, uh, when people were debating that, the Nationals then did believe there is a shelf life for Tommy John guys, and then you really run the risk of them blowing it again, you know, blowing out the elbow again. So what are you suggesting? They shouldn't give them a long-term deal? I don't know. I, I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know if they're considering the idea, well, this it's it's been nine years since he's had the surgery. He's had 227 starts. He's pitched like 1,400 innings. You know, there are guys who have lasted longer than that. Tommy John, actually, uh, was a guy who had the surgery and lasted longer than that. But there's not a lot out there for guys who have lasted more than nine years and, you know, 227 starts. Now, he had arguably one of his healthiest years this year. Definitely. Yeah. So uh, It's Scherzer that, it, that may be on the, yes. the verge of being injured so a lot I more. just don't know if the Nationals are considering, well, you know, do we want to take the risk that, you know, sometime next year or the year after that he's another candidate for another Tommy John surgery? Do you think they will take the risk? Yeah, I think they will. But uh uh if they don't, that's why. If they if they don't if they are not willing to pay Strasburg the money that he wants, the money, you know, a reasonable amount of money, it's because of their fear of investing that money in a guy who you know has already reached his his limit of success in Tommy John surgery. And I don't know what that limit is. Okay, it's still something that's out there that we we don't know about yet. Is it easier to act on that fear since they won the World Series rather than let's just say Strasburg had pitched brilliantly and they lost, you know, uh, in 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 seven games to Houston? The fact that they won it will it make it easier for them to trust their instincts on this and move on if they think it's the the right thing to do? I don't think it would affect Mike Rizzo one way or the other. I think he he would do whatever he feels he needs to do, uh, whether they won or, or lost, and, and it depends on whether the learners w- would be susceptible to, you know, uh, a difference whether they won or or lost. Uh, you know, Strasburg being the World Series MVP, it would be a huge public relations blow not to sign Steven Strasburg. Oh. My God! It, it would be. It would, I mean, just the thought that you know, with some of the reports over the last twenty-four hours about the possibility of Rendon going to the Dodgers or wherever, I just I can't imagine not having both of them back next year. But I have a feeling we're not going to have Rendon back. I have next a feeling year. That, that that that's the case. Uh, I don't sucks. know if the learners are willing to you know make the offer that you can't refuse, uh, and I don't know if Boris will, and I think he will because he usually does. Get the one owner he needs to hike up uh, Anthony Rendon's price. Yeah, you know, I mean, the the, the Boris Lerner marriage started because the Learners did that for Boris with Mark Teixeira. That's what I mean. They they it was the Red Sox and the Yankees were bidding for Teixeira, and all of a sudden the Nationals jumped in uh, with this offer that was higher than what the Red Sox or the Yankees were offering them. 
And uh, what it did was it pumped up the market for Teixeira and forced the Yankees to step up even more and probably pay him about $30 or $40 million than they would have. That's what, that's what Boris does. Uh, Boris got Ted Lerner to do that. Uh, he convinced him that Mark Teixeira would be a valuable investment early on for the Washington Nationals, even though he knew damn well that Teixeira was never going to sign with the Nationals no matter what they offered him. Right. They could do the same thing with Rendon and get a guy to do that. All right. Um, you got anything else? I got nothing else, boss. No football this Sunday. No uh, Redskins. No Redskins. We got it. We, actually, there's a really good and very important Thursday night game tonight. Um, Chargers at Raiders. If the, if the Chargers are going to get back into this thing, which I think they can, they got to win tonight. They're a one and a half point favorite in Oakland tonight. Um, I I don't have a smell test pick tonight. I actually like South Florida a little bit, Aaron. Tonight I'd lean South Florida a little bit. Um, they're catching a very, very short number at home against Temple. So I sort of like them a little bit, but not an official play. I'll have all my smell test picks tomorrow. But this is one of those Thursday night games I'm actually looking forward to watching. The London Chargers. Uh, Yeah, although Dean Spano said, uh, absolutely, I mean, cursed 15 times. Yes. um, In the process of of saying on local radio that they're they're not going to London. I don't think an NFL team's ever going to end up in London full-time. I don't think it will either. I think with a 17-game schedule, though, if they get to that 17-game schedule... I do think that there's a chance that they sort of cobble together an eight-game schedule for London every year. Yeah. You know, you have like eight games that they'll see every year. And maybe a team like Jacksonville plays half of them there. I don't know. Um, But I don't think we'll ever see a team base there. By the way, it was Bill O'Donnell was Chuck Thompson's partner. He was very good. Okay. You don't remember that? No, I didn't. It's before my time. Before your time. Maybe before you were here. Yeah. You know? Uh, in in Baltimore, um, because that's. That I mean, was I was here stop. in '83, and right. John Miller was here then. No, John Miller was not here in '83, was he? Yes. I think Chuck Thompson was called the '83 World Series. Well, John, I think John Miller was here in '83. Uh, I mean, this is Baltimore stuff. I don't know why we're getting hung up on it, but I'm I'm going to look through to see how long Chuck Thompson called games. I, John, the Orioles had an identity. John Miller called games in 1983. I thought he came well after that. John Miller's broadcasting career. Uh, you're right. Orioles 83 through 96. John Miller. And then he was he's been with the Giants ever since. Our Giants from 97. You know, Aaron, to you present. don't you don't have to save that sound bite. You're right because we've got it so many times <laughs> with so many other instances. You don't have to save that sound. Have, bite. You, have you noticed how whenever he is right, he makes a big deal out of it because there are very few opportunities <laughs> to sort of uh, to, to sort of feel like a, a winner in those conversations. Um, you're right. You're right, Tommy. You are right. <laughs> Uh, I can send Tommy out today with a smile before he goes back to his apartment and gets high on secondhand smoke. (laughs) All right, enjoy the day, everybody. Back tomorrow with a full football Friday without the Redskins, uh, but I'll have a big smell test tomorrow. Uh, Take care.